0: Good morning, church. I don't know about you, but I feel the spirit. <laughs> it is so great to be here. I am uh, very encouraged, excited um, to know that uh, I get to preach in Harlem. It, it just means a lot. First of all, I want to say this. I don't need to preach now. If you've been paying attention to the worship, the songs, the songs, the words, Rodney, we're done. <laughs> I can drop the mic and leave. The spirit has spoken. But since I prepared something, I should probably go through it. <laughs> so I will. Um, first of all, I want to say, you know, it, it's it really—I mean it sincerely. It's exciting to be here in Harlem. Um, I grew up on the South Side of Chicago. Thank you, thank you. Yes, <laughs> uh, a place. Um, during the time period that I grew up, 60s and 70s, uh, very similar and akin to what was happening here in Harlem. The talent, the civil rights, uh, the focus on, on, on raising kids and raising the next generation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, this may be the closest I get to preaching Chicago, <laughs> preaching here, so I'm very thankful for it. I want you to know, because I grew up on the south side of Chicago, I knew that if I went to other areas of Chicago, like the West Side or the North Side, I had to bring my crew. I needed somebody to watch my back. So I well, want you know, Big Apple Church, thank you for being here. <laughs> <I, I laughs> Got to bring my posse. <laughs> anyway, all joking aside, it's it's just good for the people of God who are covering Manhattan to be together. We got each other's back. No matter how you look at it, south, north, we got each other's back, and we are doing the Lord's will, and I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited to be able to teach and preach on something that actually means personally a lot to me, and I'll tell you why I'll describe it as I go through it. Uh, it's something that, uh, you know, started back probably in 1981. Um, but to talk about God's plan, I I was actually the result of plans. When I say that, what I'm saying is my mother and my father, uh, they were part of the great migration from the south. Uh, Same thing that happened here, you know, uh, African-Americans, blacks moving to the north for opportunities and prosperity. And the goal was we're going to raise our kids so they could take it to the next level. I'm the result of that. My dad had a plan. He worked three jobs so I could go to Catholic school. Right there, I'm with you. There you go. Because uh, his view was, I want to send you to the school where you're going to learn the best. Uh, he wasn't focused on God. I mean, that's just the truth. So. But he was focused on education, and his plan became my plan. I'm going to call it Plan A. Yeah, maybe it's Al, or maybe it's just Plan A, period. But the plan was to achieve success. And uh, as I said, my parents invested in it, sacrificed for it, and it became mine. And so I went to one of the top high schools in Chicago, got an academic scholarship to go there. It was all white, so I was like in a strange land. It was like, wait a minute, I'm from the south side of Chicago. What's this? Uh, But God had a plan, so I'm there. It leads me to Northwestern, where I majored in electrical engineering. Again, one of the only black students there in engineering. It led for me going to work as an engineer in Silicon Valley. It led me going to Stanford to get my MBA. The plan was working. No, it wasn't. (laughs) But it was a plan I had. It was a plan the world gave me. But I want to talk about God's plan. So God's plan actually entered my life about 33 years ago. Uh, And that's when my wife and I uh, started coming to the church. Um, I had come about a year before her. Uh, We went to a Bible study group, and then we started studying the Bible. And um, as it turned out, because my sin was so evident and so weighty in front of me, I knew this was it. Uh, It took my wife a little longer, ten months later, but that's okay. Conviction has to be personal. (laughs) It cannot be shared. We can walk the same path, but our path has different ways to it. Married 33 years, a Christian 32 years. If I had not become a Christian, the marriage would have been maybe three years, not 33. The truth sets you free. Thank you, Rodney, for leading the way. You know, my walk with Christ had ups and downs. I think um, at least twice I almost fell away. I'm going to talk about one of those times a little later. But there was a period in my walk where I felt like I was in a dungeon spiritually. And I'm doing the reference to Joseph for those of you who get it. There were things happening to me. There were things that I didn't understand. And there were things, areas I needed to grow in. What got me through that period, 2006 to about 2011, was a number of things. One of those was Ephesians, studying out the book of Ephesians. So let's talk about that. You know, this this is a series that is going on in uh, the Big Apple Church. We are now in part three. Uh, it's focused on As I said earlier, God's plan is focused on looking in through the book of Ephesians in very small chunks to understand and to take notice of what God is teaching us. Um, What's really interesting is that uh, the actual writer for Ephesians is Paul, originally Saul of course, and he um, was born a Roman citizen, so there's a lot to his background, a lot to understand. Uh, he actually established Ephesians on his third mission journey, so third time he went out to actually plant churches. Um, he, he was there for three years. Turns out it's the longest time he ever spent um, in one of the churches he planted, the longest. Before that, maybe it was a year and a half, two years. Um, when people talk about Ephesians and talk about the church there, um, they talk about a place where uh, disciples were well taught. To me, I think we relate to that. I think any one of you, someone could walk up and say, "What does it mean to be saved?" And you could quote scriptures, you can show reference. You could talk about the scripture that, that helped you. You could show you know, what it means to be baptized, what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. We are well taught. If the church in Ephesus was well taught, about seven years after, after uh, Paul left there, uh, he's in jail. He's writing this letter. This letter is very unique. Unlike Romans, he's not teaching people. He's not diving into the deep sort of understanding of righteousness and the new righteousness and et cetera. And unlike Corinthians, he's not rebuking and correcting et cetera. In Ephesians, he's doing something a little different, similar to Col- Colossians but different. What he's doing is he's talking to a church he planted that he knows, knows what the truth is, but he has a feeling they're starting to get caught up in the world. Not in worldly ways, but because their eyes are looking down. They're looking at the worries and cares of life. He, he sends this out to get them to look back up, to put their eyes on God and recognize that God has a plan and you are part of it. And so therefore you cannot live as citizens of the world. You have to live as citizens of heaven. That is the message to us. Us who have been trained, who calls ourselves disciples of Christ, are we looking down? I got to tell you, I, I the past five years or maybe longer actually if I think about it uh, I've slowly felt fear come into my heart frustration come into my heart I felt the the uh, the feeling of who's in control what is happening here I thought we were moving in some direction but it turns out we never moved it is still and what it was, and even worse, um, Ephesians speaks to me. Lift your eyes up. <laughs> you know, Ephesians is considered the high road of revelation for the New Testament. Our theme scripture is God's plan, and in Ephesians one eleven, it says. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. You know, God has a plan. And the plan for those who follow Christ, for those who give their lives to Christ, for those who make Jesus Lord, is one that God's in charge of you know we can be as Paul was in a prison whatever that may be life debt consequences death Uh, having lived now for quite a while I've experienced it all and I've seen how people deal with it I've seen how I had to deal with it we have to keep our eyes on God and his plan of course you know this is not the first time God had a plan (laughs) We know this all started with his plan. It was a seven-step plan. I don't know about you, but one of the things I learned in life was if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And so God didn't want to fail, and he's not going to fail, so he had a plan. In the very beginning, the seven-step plan that we see unfold called creation, you know, it ends with Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. That's how God looks at it. God created us. He created the very universe we live in. When I say universe, so you just understand, we are in the Milky Way galaxy there are over a hundred billion galaxies in the universe. Hundred billion. I couldn't even guess how many stars there are. But the reason why I bring up the stars, A, because we see them here, one of the times when one of God's faithful men was doubting. I don't know about you, I doubt at times. God took him personally by the hand and said, come outside, look up at the sky can you count the stars? (laughs) I think as we talk about God's plan, we we need to put this in perspective. God is an amazing planner. (laughs) He is an amazing creator. When we doubt his plan, go outside, look at the stars, try to count them. You know, it's said that maybe you could count 8,000, but clearly there's way more than that. You know, This road we're on is pretty adventurous at times. We're right now in part three of Ephesians. We're going to cover these scriptures right here, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, And then over the next, it's a 12-part series, over the next nine parts, we're going to cover the rest of Ephesians. But right today, we're going to start with this. And I just want to read this. It's probably titled in your book, Made Alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Remember, he's writing this to disciples. We've got to keep that in mind. Isn't this is, this is to people who've dedicated themselves to God, who've been they've been a church for at least seven years, uh, maybe longer. So he's reminding them hey, 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 remember the way you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in, in, in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's Handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I want to break this down in a few sections. The first I want to start off with, dead. I love how Paul doesn't play around. He's like, hey, you and you. I almost have a picture of the scene where Jesus is talking about what he needs to do to go to the cross. And Peter ends up saying a few words. And you can almost feel it when you read it. He turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You have of mind the things of the world, not of God. I think that's what Paul is saying. I just spent the time in chapter 1 telling you about the greatness of God, the power of God, etc., And maybe you're feeling like, hey, that's good. I'm with that. I know the feeling. I've lived a number of places. We were in a church in the San Francisco Bay Area. We were in the church up in Toronto. We now are here. Uh, We've been here about seven years now. Uh, Thank you for the love and kindness you've shown me and my wife, Glenda, and my son, Nathan. And we are just amazed to be here and thankful. But you move a place, and all of a sudden, you take on um, ownership of a team. So we were in uh, San Francisco and back during that time period the 49ers were doing great we were like yeah we're in the 49ers we're doing now we had never been on the field we had never got hit we had never caught a ball but we were we were feeling good like yeah we're part of that team and then of course being from Chicago the Bulls <clears throat> I mean my nickname was Michael Jordan come on <laughs> I couldn't play like him but I was on the team I think Paul right here is saying look hold up just so we don't lose perspective here. Yeah, you're part of the family, but remember who you are. You're dead. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that's that's pretty powerful. You know, then he starts covering the forces that actually pulled us into the grave. By the way, the songs that we sang today, I, I love them, they moved me. Probably the, the one that I, that I really uh, felt like had to be, song was the one on glorious when we say you called me out that grave it's one of the verses says I was breathing but not alive all my failures I tried to hide it was my tune till I met you you called me you called my name and I ran out that grave that was me back in 1986 Here I was with plan A. Plan A, it was working. I was out there. I was working in management consulting. I was future ruler of the world. Yeah, but here's the deal. On my birthday on that year, I laid in my bed crying. I had an answer machine. Those who remember answer machines, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, people are calling me. And wishing me happy birthday, man! You're probably out partying, you know. I'm laying there crying, because I realized what all of that I accomplished, my great plan. I was just like all the other brothers in the hood. I had a child out of wedlock. I'm serious. I'm serious. It was. It was. It was not the ultimate, but it was the path that showed I was. I was not. Going forward, I was going down. I was going into some grave. Fast forward a year, I get married. Uh, Glenda is amazing. She is my muse. She is the woman that keeps me focused on God. Yes. If I had not met her, I would have not become a Christian. I met her, and I did very similar things to what Rodney talked about. We weren't, we weren't Christians, but I was addicted to the world. I was addicted to sexual morality, and it wouldn't stop. And so when these guys said, hey, we might have some answers, you want to read the Bible, I'm like, what? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Dead. By nature, we were the ones that God was going to pull and give wrath to. You know, what are the forces that pull us in the grave? I think the first one is going with the flow. It says, in which you formally walked according to the course of this world. The course of this world means you just go with the flow. Hey, what, what are we doing? Where are we going? Okay, I'm in. Call me in, etc. cetera. Um, I, I actually went to an all-male Jesuit high school. Uh, I was pretty interested in Track. Uh, was ranked nationally, got scholarships, et cetera, and I was very interested in science and math, et cetera. So I wasn't, I was sort of caught up in that, uh, but then I got to college and very quickly, um, I realized, oh wow, I'm sort of big man on campus. I don't know what that means, but everybody keeps telling me that, you know, cause I'm on the track team and I'm in engineering and women are lined up outside my door and et cetera. Within four years, I became a whole different person. I went with the flow. Hey, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what they expect me to do. I got to do this. I'm just meeting the needs. I know, brothers, you've heard that. Yeah, it was in my mind. (laughs) I got to ask you something. What flow did you get caught in? Matter of fact, what flow is pulling you back right now? This past year and a half, my wife and I, as elder and wife, we've been pulled in some pretty extreme situations. Uh, when I say extreme, decode that to mean sinful. Um, one of the underlying things we see: disciples who've been committed, serving, etc., for seven, eight, nine, ten years—they're going back to the flow. Sometimes it's going back to their culture. We actually sat with a couple. And the wife said, well, that's just who I am. That's how my race is. That's what we do. And I'm like, uh, citizen of heaven, child of God, <laughs> what did you just say? But it happens. The flow is strong. It's in us generationally, culturally. The, the question we have to ask are we continuing to make Christ Lord or culture Lord? And we might want to judge other people. Oh, look at those races, da, 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 da. I'm telling you, culture, you know, there are different uh, people of the Caribbean, maybe from Jamaica, look down on Haitians. Maybe from the Bahamas, look down on Trinidadians. I don't know. What I'm saying is I know in our church we have some serious cultural conflicts. The second force, and I love this one, Any Flip Wilson fans out there? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) I am with you. The devil made me do it. (laughs) That was hilarious. It was fun. But here's the thing. It's real. The prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. The first time I saw this verse was after I graduated from college. It was 1981. I was working in Houston. There was some religious group, Christian group, that basically came up to me and my girlfriend, who I was living with, uh, and said, "Hey, would you like some Christian fellowship?" And I'm like, "What the heck is that?" (laughs) But I thought, "Hey, maybe it's fun. Let's see what happens." And and over time, they got to know me a little bit, and they said, "Hey." you seem pretty disturbed, and I was by the evil that was around me. I was in Houston, Texas in the 80s. Racism was a way of life. There were places I'd go, and they wouldn't let me. I'm talking about in the 80s, not the 60s, and they wouldn't let me in. There were people who would follow me as I'd leave work uh, with pickup tucks with guns on the rack because they didn't like the way I looked. Who's this so-and-so with a tie and coming? Who is this? I, I hated it it was like what is this evil and so they showed me this and it was like oh there is a ruler here there is someone commanding this evil if you look at things that are going on if you watch CNN Fox whatever you watch etc and you see it and you're like oh this world this world Satan there is a ruler he has he tries to make sure we live. In his perspective, we have to fight that. The third force is um, is when it all sort of comes distilled into you. In James, James chapter one, James talks about sin and how it evolves and that it leads to death. But what what, what he's saying there is there's a period where it's it's something maybe it's uh, random or something that is occasional or something that you're. You're not even convinced about, but over time, you own it. As as the Gatorade commercial says, it's in you now. It was in me by the time I got married. It was the lust, the indulgence, the desires. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You know, that's what, if anything, I see in this world today is a strong desire for you and I to want it all. Sesame chicken. Oh, pow chicken. Nacho. Fried chicken. Yes. Bebe Yes. wash salad. With the Grubhub yeah. delivery app, if you want it all, You can get it all. Grubhub. Restaurants you love delivered. That's hilarious. It's funny. It's it's like, wow. But you know what? It's real. That is what we have become a consumption society. We want it. We want it all. And we want it now. I feel it in me. Oh my God, Amazon is so powerful. One click buying. (laughs) One click. I see it. I want it. Same day delivery. (laughs) Are you feeling me? (laughs) We have to be careful. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. So my plan, plan A, was destroying my life, destroying my marriage, destroying my relationships, the destruction I did in college. But God had a plan. He had a great rescue plan. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that we have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. That is just amazing for me when I think back to my conversion I think back to my awakening I think back to realizing wow there's there a plan I could get out of this cave I could actually run out of this grave tell me more Now, it took me four months i gonna be honest with you I had to peel the onion I had to dig down to the roots And identify what was driving my sinful behavior and begin to repent of it, meaning change my mind. But what's even more amazing, God not only rescues us, it says, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all the future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ you know plan G unlike plan A it has a positive impact (laughs) on me on the world and on my future we have to stay committed to plan G but we stay committed to plan G by remembering we were in a cave. This is the greatest rescue mission of all time. I'm gonna show you the second greatest in this century. The rescue of 33 miners from the depths of a copper mine in Chile touched the world. What began as a catastrophic mining disaster became a story of hope, endurance, and technical ingenuity. As the world held its breath, an unprecedented rescue mission swung into action. Channel 4 was there, capturing this unfolding drama to create the definitive day-by-day account. The story of how 33 miners, buried alive, were miraculously saved. you guys remember that how many of you guys saw okay when I when I thought about this lesson when I read that very first scripture and you dad I instantly thought of this I thought about how the world was captivated following trying to figure out what's gonna happen it's just amazing 33 men trapped buried alive in a cave you know, the cave, uh, the, the entrance to where they were, it collapsed on August 5th, 2010. Um, they were at, the, at, the, at the initial point, they thought, well, this is going to be okay. But then there was another collapse two days later. And at that point, it was clear, we're, we're not going to get to these guys. We're not going to make it. And they knew it also, the 33 men. For 17 days, two and a half weeks, they did not know if anybody knew they were alive. They were trapped. By August 22nd, a probe actually did reach them. They sent up a note, and it said, we are fine. The 33 of us were all here. It turned out to be almost 70 days that they were trapped underground. It took $20 million to actually rescue them, $20 million. It took about 12 organizations, including NASA, to figure out how to get to them. It's just amazing when I think about they were rescued. They were in a cave, buried alive. It makes me wonder, do we think about that for ourselves? Do we remember where we were? I think sometimes we, we, we coated with sugar and, ah, oh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, as a matter of fact, I could go back to it. What am I talking about? No, we, we, were, we were buried alive. What's interesting about their rescue is that um, it took a time for people to figure out how to do it, and they had a plan A. And they were going after, they were coming straight down to get them, and they realized, this is going to take about six months." And so somebody, I don't know who said, "Hey, I got a plan B. I'm going to come at an 80-degree angle using a total different drill, a water drill, I'm like a water drill. What you, we're not getting water. We're trying to fresh your people." <laughs> plan B was the one that got to them in substantially less than six months. Plan G is what gets to us. Our plan A, or our plan W, meaning the world's plan, it won't. You know, we are saved. We're no longer buried alive, and it was a rescue mission. Our fate was sealed. Our fate is, without Christ, our fate is sealed. God knows this, which is why he sacrificed so much to save us. The responsibility is God. We have the faith, but the faith is in Christ that makes us right with God. You know, God actually, back in his original plan, the seven-step plan, he had a vision. He had a dream. He had a goal. That's what planning's for, vision, dreams, goals. And his goal was to have a relationship with the people he created. Within the first two chapters of Genesis, we blow it. We. blow it. It takes all that time <laughs> to finally get to a place where we have the rescue show up. You know, I don't know about you, how long were you in the, in that cave? You know, the men that were in that cave in, in Chile, uh aged from 19 to 63. There are different ages. Maybe you became a Christian at 19 in college. Maybe you did, as I did, later on in life in your late 20s. Um, I just had the phenomenal pleasure, opportunity, blessing to study with someone who is in their 60s, Joseph. Just became a disciple within the past couple of weeks. It, it, you know what? It just says God's rescue plan is for all. We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. In Jeremiah nine, twenty-three, twenty-four, 24, God talks about how if you're going to boast, boast about him. He said, let not the rich man boast of his riches, the wise man boast of his wisdom, the strong man boast of his strength, but boast in this. And the first thing he lists is his loving kindness. The kindness of God is not to be underestimated. It it is powerful. It It is the rescue plan. For me, I pursued power. I pursued wisdom. I pursued strength. It wasn't until someone said to me, let me show you the Bible <laughs> that I realized there is a plan that really works. Plan G is the plan. How do we respond to that plan? I'm going to end with this, and this is the last verse. It says, God has made us what we are in Christ. Jesus, in Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. You know, our response is to give up our plan. My plan was a plan of performance and success, etc. But God's plan is that we literally just come to him and follow him and obey his son. And as a result of the joy we feel from that, we do works, but that's not what saves us. <laughs> we do it because we're grateful. We do it because we're joyous. We do it because we understand this world is lost and that others are living in a cave And need to be rescued you know i love what paul says to uh, the thessalonians when he writes to them he says "I, i know your work produced by faith labor prompted by love and endurance inspired by the hope in our lord jesus christ brothers and sisters let us live this out let us run out that grave and keep running out that grave think about this if any of those 33 minors had said, you know, I, I wasn't that bad down there, I, I want to go back, the world would have looked at me, are you crazy? Do not go back. And if you did go back, be like Rodney. <laughs> Come back out that <laughs> grave and let us do what the Lord prepared for us to do. Thank you, my brothers and sisters.